so I just wanted to um, quickly recap on yesterday's day in which we discussed the AOT statute as well as uh, components of the Department of Mental Health's AOT program. I went over the specific measures that are needed for any enrolled AOT client. Um, and I also discussed the AOT referral as well as our initial investigation um, form that all providers will get if they're getting an AOT referral. So our day two objectives are going to be explaining the referral process to provide um, the referrals that go to the providers, an explanation of warm handoffs, a description of provider responsibilities, explain consent for services, describe uh, treatment plans as it relates to AOT cases, explain process for enrolled AOT clients such as enrollment, what we determine to be graduation and disenrollment, describe barriers to treatment and um, have a round table with two of our current AOT providers in which they're gonna share their experience and provide suggestions on how they go about in working with our clients. So that's gonna be at the very end. So I wanna make sure we're able to give enough time so that if you guys have questions for them, they can answer. Um, so some important topics regarding referred clients to providers. Um, one of them is regarding already enrolled FSP clients who are referred to us. As I mentioned at the closing of yesterday, um, we do have a new process for in currently enrolled FSP clients who are being referred as well as I had expressed that currently the AOT program has a wait list for any clients that we determine meet our criteria before they're actually assigned to an outreach and engagement team. They are getting waitlisted. Um, one of two exceptions to being waitlisted is clients who are enrolled in FSP. We are not waitlisting them. We are actually automatically accepting them and assigning them to an outreach and engagement team within the first week within the first week of us accepting them. So as of July 1st of this year, due to the new, due to the FSP transformation, we have a new process in handling these type of cases. Um, we are gonna investigate the referral like we do all referrals to determine that the client meets the AOT criteria based off of paper, a conversation and what's on, you know, what's on paper and what's documented. We're gonna make sure that at least in that aspect, the client appears to meet our criteria. If the client is accepted, um, the current FSP provider is going to be expected to be the FSP provider throughout the course in which the client may be attached to AOT. We are not going to um, take, the, take the case over and um, eventually have that provider close. We're not going to transfer the case to a different FSP. The expectation is the current FSP will be the FSP team. So this is, that's the major change from how we used to handle it. Um, the AOT O&E team will contact the, the FSP provider and um, schedule a time in which themselves, the provider um, can go out and see the client together. We're expecting maybe two to three outreaches in this sense with the two teams and the client. Our team will inform the client of the AOT program, the different aspects, including the court process. Um, our team, during these two, uh, two to three contacts, our team will be trying to determine that the client meets criteria for a petition. So just ensuring that all of AOT criteria is currently accurate and that is met. 
as well as ensuring that the client is non-compliant with services per our AOT standards. This is a big component as it relates to a client already linked to a provider. We wanna ensure that there is an actual non-compliance with service. So our team will be doing these two, these three things while they're out there with you guys. If the client agrees to work with the FSP during this outreach, then our team will step back and check in with the provider over several weeks to ensure that the client stays compliant. If client does stay compliant, then AOT will close the case and the client will just remain with you guys as a general adult FSP case. If the client refuses during these um, two to three outreaches and will, does not engage in services and they're and we did determine during those contacts that we do have grounds for a petition, then our team will initiate the petition process. Um, what this means is that after those two or three initial contacts, um, there'll be one more contact with our AOT psychologist. She will either go out with solely our team to see the client or with our team and FSP, or maybe just with the FSP provider. This is gonna start the petition process actually. Um, uh, so she needs to try to make contact with the client. It may take more than one contact um, in case the client isn't there or the client walks away and, and nothing could be determined in that moment. But that will begin our process with the psychologist. She will actually um, get the ball rolling in regards to what needs to be done. During the petition, uh, the petition process can take several weeks. During the course of time, the FSP provider is to continue to attempt face-to-face -face engagement with the client. Our AOT team is going to step back during that window um, because, again, the client's already enrolled with you guys. You guys are the team. We're just going to take a step back since they already did the outreach to introduce and determine about criteria for the petition. What they are going to do, though, is through verbal or written communication, like over email, they'll communicate with the FSP provider on a weekly basis to make sure how the client is doing and ensure that the, there's still contact with the client that the client has in um, disappeared or ended up hospitalized or in or arrested. So they're going to keep in contact verbally or through written communication with the FSB provider until the actual hearing is held. If the petition is granted, then the FSP provider will begin treatment with the individual. Um, if the petition is denied, then AOT will close the case following that hearing. And we encourage that the FSP provider should follow up with the service navigator team, a navigation team regarding efforts that you guys use to utilize the AOT program, the petition process, the fact that it was denied um, to see what your next steps will be. And the reason I, I, I say encourage you guys to talk to your navigation is that historically when one of our petitions are denied, if it's with the provider or if it's just solely during our outreach phase, um, we close that case. We're done in that moment with the individual because we made every effort um, to get the services and that was eliciting a petition and it did not work, which meant the client didn't meet criteria. So if, if client is saying they don't want services, um, then you know, there's not much more we can do at that point in time. So we normally would allow providers to close so I encourage you guys to go back to your navigation team and explain the steps you took to try to initiate uh, services for the individual and see what they recommend for your next step to be. Um, so types of clients, we 
um, what I mean by this is that uh, through AOT, you're going to hear us use two types of phrases when we refer to our clients as it relates to documentation or maybe just in communication. Um, we use the word voluntary and petition. So we either have a client who's considered voluntary or we have a client who is petitioned. Um, so a voluntary client is a client who agrees to services uh, without the court order. They um, can agree to services anytime voluntarily. The petition client is a client who has the court order within AOT to participate in services. Um, so a voluntary AOT client can be considered voluntary through the initial 30-day window in which our outreach and engagement team um, outreaches this to them and tries to get them to agree to services on a voluntary level. If during that window of time when our team is outreaching to them that they voluntarily agree, then they will be referred to an FSP or ERS provider and then enrolled hopefully with that provider without any issues. Um, they remain actively engaged in services throughout their term with the provider and utilizing the treatment plan that they created with the provider. This, that type of client is going to be considered voluntary. If they're going through those different steps without having to be tied to court, then they're always going to be considered voluntary. Um, another time that a client may be considered a voluntary AOT client is a client who is terminated. Their petition has been terminated. Um, and we decide to keep the client within AOT, even though the petition was terminated. Um, so sometimes we might have a client who gets petitioned for six months right off the bat after our outreach and engagement. And at the end of those six months, we don't believe this court jurisdiction is needed anymore, but we still don't think that they're ready to step down in level of care. We think that, um, dangling the court piece, you know, knowing that they could be petitioned again um, might be beneficial to the individual to make sure that they stay in services, but maybe um, either they're participating at that moment when six months happens, or they no longer fully meet the AOT criteria so that a petition can be, so that they could be repetitioned. So we allow that uh, court jurisdiction to terminate, but we still believe the use of AOT and the means to possibly petition them again, maybe a few months down the line um, is beneficial. So we keep them in AOT and now they're considered a voluntary client. Um, so that's kind of why I have the diagram where they can cycle through. They could be voluntary to then petition back to voluntary or the other way around. Um, it's an open door in regards to what status they can have. A petition client, um, during the 30-day window in which our team is in, outreaching to them, the client remains unwilling to accept services and um, are, I'm sorry, are unwilling to accept services from our team when we're offering them. In addition, if a client is enrolled on a voluntary status and they become resistant to services and non-compliant with services, we can then petition them at that moment as well. So they can be again, become petitioned at two timeframes, an initial outreach and engagement phase or after being enrolled with a provider. The petition process begins with us attempting to examine the individual and offering them a treatment plan. This is where the AOT psychologist goes out and meets them. The petition hearing is scheduled and the case is brought in front of the judge. 
and either the client signs a voluntary settlement agreement or they contest the petition and a hearing occurs. This um, The settlement agreement or the hearing of a petition is when the judge will decide on if the petition is going to be granted and that is how they will become a petition client if it is granted. Uh, the VSA is filed, I'm sorry. So in regards to the voluntary settlement agreement an actual hearing does not occur but it is filed with the court and then and the client agrees to treatment with court jurisdiction. So the judge grants the petition. If not, the petition hearing occurs, testimony is heard, and the judge makes a decision if we have provided enough evidence that the client meets the AOT criteria. If so, the, client, the judge will grant the petition. Um, so there's two ways that the client can become a petition client through the use of a voluntary settlement agreement or through the testimony through a hearing in which we provide evidence for AOT criteria. Um, currently, we have 85 petition clients out of 319 clients who are enrolled with a treatment provider. Um, we had, so that is about, that's 26% of our clients that are enrolled in services that are petitioned. So majority of our clients at any given time are, in, are on voluntary status with us. Um, so they're not tied to the court system at all. So referrals to providers. Um, the FSP, in regards to FSP specifically, you guys are gonna receive the SRTS, um, sending the referral over to a specific agency. In the SRTS, there's gonna be a packet full of documentation. That documentation is gonna have the AOT referral form, the two-page form that we saw yesterday. The initial investigation form, also a two-page form that we saw yesterday that indicates how the client meets criteria. Um, DMH administrative paperwork, such as consent, PFI, and privacy practice. This is set to our outreach team, but we do send it to you guys to show that we did get that voluntary agreement when they're on that voluntary status, either through written or verbal. Um, medical eligibility verification, service history. In addition to the adult FSP form, this is um, now being sent on all referrals per adult FSP administration request. Um, for you guys should have, you guys should all probably be used to it already. The form on page one at the bottom, there is a box that says AOT. That box should always be checked. We're getting used to doing this, so there might be some that slip by us, but it should always be checked. Um, if that box is checked and you're being told this is an AOT referral, you may notice that the rest of the form is pretty blank or very limited. And that is because an AOT client does not need to meet the FSP criteria. Um, we have our own criteria. And again, as I mentioned yesterday, FSP is the default service for our clients. If they're not able to go into an ERS or they're not appropriate for ERS level of care, then FSP is the service they're going to get, which means we're not going to meet with the stand. We're not, we do not necessarily always meet the standard FSP criteria, which is why that referral form might be blank. So the best place to look for um, information on the client is going to be the AOT referral form and the initial investigation and even the notes that we provide. In addition, there is an email that's sent out. Um, this depends on what slot the client is sitting on. So if the client is sitting on one of those original 300 allocated AOT slots, 
then um, I'm emailing the supervisor or the lead or navigate the lead. Um, And in that email, they're being given also in that email is the outreach and engagement team's information, email and phone number and names, um, letting you know what service area the client is actually in. If you have multiple service areas assigned to you, um, where the client is currently living, if the client is currently hospitalized or in jail, Um, And then any significant information I feel uh, might be important to bring to your attention that was within the packet or that I'm aware of. So such as if they were just hospitalized or just discharged or just arrested or currently are, um, if there's any significant aggressive or violent behavior that I believe you guys should be aware of to make sure you guys are taking the necessary steps on safety precaution when you're going out there. That's the type of information I put in the email. For those who are getting um, the client through the adult FSP slot, I am also emailing that same type of information to the navigator when I'm making the request for them to um, send the referral to an adult FSP provider. So hopefully they are communicating that information over to you guys. They should definitely be giving you the outreach team's information. Um, In addition, they're receiving a quick little write-up that's a guideline about what steps that need to be done in regards to the referral, the handoff, and enrollment. Um, This was created early in July, so that way those individuals who never had this training kind of knew what to do when they got that referral. So that's still being sent out to the navigators, and navigators are expected or should be sending it off to you guys when you get a referral with the additional information I might have provided to them in that email, if there was any. Um, Monique, there's a quick question in the chat about, um, does your ONE team address Medi-Cal issues if the client has out-of-county Medi-Cal prior to sending referral to providers? No, they do not. This is gonna be the um, responsibility of the FSP provider to work on any insurance issues there might be. Um, And I believe my next slide or two is going to be um, some stuff on insurance as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, So regarding uh, referrals, all AOT referrals to an FSP provider are appropriate for FSP services. And again, this is expressing how AOT has its own criteria and FSP is the default for our service. So they are all appropriate and should not be declined based off of not meeting FSP criteria. Um, An FSP provider cannot decline a referral as well. Um, So again, it just goes back to the clients are appropriate for the service. Um, The client has been determined appropriate for AOT, which means they're appropriate for the service um, to be linked to a provider. So there should be no declining. Again, um, there might be a case where maybe we were just told you guys were short staffed and you can't take it. something along that line, which is understandable, you know, things change very fast. So that's okay. But other than that, there should be no declining of an AOT referral. Um, Providers cannot close the referral without the AOT committee's approval. I mentioned who the committee is. Um, Yesterday, we reviewed everything as it relates to the AOT clients. And so um, disbelieving out an SRTS, for any reason without the approval um, is not appropriate. You, you do need to come back 
and you would speak to me as a coordinator to let me know what's going on with that referral for us to figure out what the next step might be. It might be some more outreach. It might be having our outreach and engagement team go back out with you guys. Um, it may be a petition is needed at that moment. So there is no closing it on. There is no closing a referral based off of your guys's decision. Um, in a nice way to say you, you need to come back to, to get the committee's approval to figure out what the next step might be. And this includes a client who might be declining your declining the services. So again, you don't close it. The other um, comment I wanted to make regarding that um, and that all cases are appropriate would be clients with a history of violence or aggression. Um, Earlier on, a few months ago, that was kind of one of the issues that was kind of going back and forth with navigators and providers when they were seeing the documentation we were sending them. Again, AOT is not about clients who are violent, but we do have one of our criteria if it's you know a threat or an attempt of a threat. Um, and we have a handful of clients that that's really how they're in their AOT program because of that threat, and it may be a significant threat. Um, but talking with adult, uh, adult FSP administration, providers should not be declining these referrals based on that. Um, or, you know, our outreach team had already probably spent who knows how much time with that client. And if there was no incidents that put any safety risk to our staff, then we are making that referral over to providers. Our staff are going out into the field. Um, so we do expect that the providers will be able to do the same. If at any time we have a doubt that a provider will not be able to do that, then you definitely can bet that we're not sending that referral over. We're not asking anyone to engage. And we have had a few cases like that over our years that we did not um, follow through in the end with a provider. So if we're sending it, it is appropriate and we should be attempting to try to give that individual services. Regards to insurance, um, so this will be private Medi-Cal, no insurance kind of discussion. Um, AOT, the AOT program itself does not turn away any referral due to the client's insurance status. Um, in order for a county to be operating an AOT program, they need to be able to service all individuals who would meet the AOT criteria. So we, we don't turn away a referral based off of insurance. Our AOT team um, will be assigned if the client meets the criteria and will outreach the client regardless of the insurance status. Uh, clients who voluntarily agree for services or who are court ordered through the AOT process will still be referred to FSP and ARS, again, regardless of the insurance status. Um, when they are referred to the provider, that is kind of where, that's when the work begins on the insurance. Our outreach team does not um, deal with the insurance, they will talk to the client and to families to kind of give them a heads up about their insurance status, like especially if it's private insurance, um, what complications or the time frame it might take for the client to actually get into services because of their insurance, but they will not work on um, on getting the insurance fixed or anything like that, depending on what the situation might be. Um, if the client has private insurance, the provider is to work on obtaining authorization um, for FSP or ERS level care. 
So hopefully with your financial, um, if you guys have financial units, they will be working on trying to obtain the authorization. Um, they sh providers should document all efforts to, to obtain authorization. Um, if there is a denial for services or whoever's working on it is unsuccessful in getting a response from the insurance company, then they should bring it back to the AOT coordinator to discuss what has been going on, either that they were denied um, and hopefully you can get a letter, which I know you don't always, um, or that you've have tried, you know, for several weeks, several, you know, eight, nine phone calls have been made and nobody's responding. So you bring that back after your efforts have been made. Um, otherwise, hopefully you're getting the authorization and then you can enroll the individual in services. It's really important that whoever's making these phone calls are describing the type of service that you guys will be providing, the level of care, um, so what FSP will consist of in order to try to obtain that authorization. Um, I listed some of the, um, what was the revenue management bulletins, because these are older bulletins as it relates to the insurance statuses. So if a client is um, has Medi-Cal on private insurance, the client only has private insurance. Um, so these are some of the bulletins related that, to how providers should be working. What we don't want to see is try to get um, individuals with private insurance having a share of costs. Um, so if there are any issues with obtaining that authorization, please bring it back so we can figure out what would be the next most appropriate step. Um, what we do try to be mindful of when we, before we do make the, um, before we, what, what the AOT program does try to be mindful about um, as it relates to insurance is petitioning individuals with private insurance. Um, we have petitioned, I think maybe two or three individuals with private insurance, but typically we hold back from petitioning them because we don't want to get caught where, um, we're saying that they have to be in services, but yet their private insurance won't cover and we don't want them to get stuck with a share of costs. So that's where we, we try to filter that out and figure out the best solution. But clients who are not petitioned, um, who are on a voluntary status, those will always definitely be sent over to providers when the client agrees. Um, and again, insurance in regards to private insurance, it remains an ongoing conversation. We've been up, been up and running for five years now, and we are still trying to figure this um, figure it out with the department and, and get something more um, more agreed upon and, and hopefully in writing as it relates to private insurance and the AOT clients. So it's it's still ongoing. So warm handoff um, outreach as it relates to warm handoff is field based. Uh, there is no outreach and engagement with AOT clients for the providers in the traditional sense of FSP. The report and the relationship building is developed after you guys have enrolled the individuals. So our outreach team has already done that outreach and engagement. Um, what we expect is that when that warm handoff occurs with our team and the client, that the provider is ready to enroll the individual on that day or within the following week of completing a handoff, a successful handoff. Um, so we, we, we don't wanna see the outreach and engagement because again, these clients are appropriate for FSP. There is no, them refusing the service is not really an option as we have steps to try to get them to be in treatment. 
Um, and the FSPs don't need to determine if the client is appropriate or not, because again, they are as they have already been determined to be appropriate for AOT. So there is no outreach and engagement without enrollment. That the outreach and engagement, the rapport, the relationship building, that comes after enrollment. Um, once a referral is received by the provider, that provider should be reaching out to the outreach and engagement team. Again, it's always two members of our little Tokyo or Lumita office, depending on the service area. Um, they should be reaching out to the team members, one of them to schedule a warm handoff between themselves, our team, the provider, the client, and maybe even the client's uh, significant other or somebody who's there with them. Um, <clears throat> Initial outreach to the client by the FSP providers should be conducted with our outreach team. And again, this is um, this is more for the rapport and um, some security for the for the client in that they've been outreached by our team for who knows maybe how long, and we want to give them that support and introduce them to the new provider. We won't, don't want the provider just to come knocking or you know a phone call out of nowhere and they hadn't even been informed that this provider's coming. So we want it to be done together um, to provide a better support to the individual of that transition. Um, just like normal FSP, you know, if the client is hospitalized and it's 24 hours in which you guys have to respond to that referral, 72 hours when they're in the community. Um, the services being offered is not voluntary. Again, I kind of talked about this yesterday in that um, it's an outpatient service, but we don't think of it in a traditional sense of voluntary as there's things that can be done if the client is saying no. Um, so we really want to make sure that during the warm handoff and during you guys, your procedures to enroll an individual, you are mindful of the language you're utilizing. You're not saying that the client has a choice to say yes or no. Um, and trust me, that has happened when we have people go out there and they're, they're very specific using that word that it's the client's choice um, and that the program is voluntary and they can choose not to participate. Um, there's other ways to approach the, that communication and definitely our two um, uh, guests this after, um, today will share how they approach it. So you guys have some insight. Um, but there's ways to do it without saying that, which a lot of providers on, in normal outpatient services kind of share that with clients that, you know, it's their choice, it's a voluntary service. Upon completion of first handoff, um, the provider is to inform that outreach team if a second handoff is needed. Um, if this is not said, then the expectation is that now the client is a responsibility of the FSP. Um, and our outreach team will be done. They're going to kind of close the case on their end. It's still an AOT case, but in regards to their own case, though, they're going to determine that the client is no longer on their case, though, and now the responsibility of FSP. So a second handoff might be that the client does not consent when you guys go out together. And our team definitely will say there will be a second handoff if that happens. Or maybe the client was under the influence during that contact and really couldn't consent or really engage at all. So a second handoff can occur again. Some of our staff sometimes might even ask you guys for a second handoff just because of the situation with the client. Um, the client might be very paranoid or not really trustworthy of teams. So 
in order to do that smoother transition, our team might even suggest that maybe two handoffs would be better um, just to try to transition the individual. Once we determine that a successful handoff has been completed, so and a successful handoff always is going to be when a client says yes, unless we feel like that extra one might be needed for that support. But if the client verbally or gives you written consent during your handoff, which you guys should be prepared to do at the first handoff, um, then we're going to determine is successful. Now, after it's successful, if by chance oh, two weeks later, three weeks later, there is a need for our team to come back and assist you because client has kind of become resistant or not showing up for the appointments you guys have scheduled, our team can come back and re-engage. Um, what we ask is that you reach out to the coordinator to share what's going on and then we'll reach out to make sure that the team has the ability to, to connect back with you guys for one or two weeks to try to re-engage together. Um, this does not mean our team will take the case back. No, they're going to go out with you to assist. On the note with the handoff, um, the outreach also, what you guys are doing and working with the client also includes family, uh, caregivers, friends. So, you know, they are part of the referral process. This is who the referral can come from, a roommate, um, parent, spouse, an adult, adult child over the age of 18. They are very well aware because of the referral made to us as well as of our outreach team that we are involved and we have linked them to a provider. So it's no secret that they are getting mental health services. Um, at any time when you guys are unable to locate the client or, or work with the client, it is an expectation that you guys try to connect with these individuals you might have been given information for. Um, you're not telling them about their mental health treatment. You're just checking in if they know where the individual is um, or if you can schedule something so that you can go to the house. Maybe the, the client is the type that doesn't open the door themselves. So you'll work with you know family or whoever might be there to assist you with getting the access to the individual. Um, provider responsibility. So further, um, sorry. Provider responsibilities. So again, you guys have to contact the outreach and engagement team to schedule the warm handoff. You need to be ready at the handoff to complete um, any necessary paperwork you guys need for your agency in regards to consent and beginning the assessment process. Verbal consent is acceptable. Um, if consent is given and the assessment is not completed on that same day, um, then you guys are expected that within you know the next week, you guys are finishing up, your, you're starting your assessment. If by chance something happens that it does not happen, then you guys are expected for a minimum of 30 days to continue to outreach to the individual um, to complete that process. Um, this is more for the client who kind of disappears, unable to locate. So the expectation is that you guys are making phone calls, you're going to any known location to track down the individual and complete your process of engaging the client so that you can do your assessment. Um, checking uh, IBIS for hospitalizations, checking the jail system to see if they've been arrested. So what we expect is at a minimum one physical outreach per, um, per week for at least four weeks before you come back to say, we can't find this individual. Uh, in regards to um, <clears throat> a client who might be declining services. So again, you didn't enroll on day one when the client said yes. And when you went back the second week, now they're declining you guys saying that they don't want the service so again it's a 30-day window that we're expecting that you guys are doing the same thing trying to engage them and trying to get their buy-in 
if during that 30 day window, you guys are unsuccessful, then you come back to the coordinator and we determine if we can petition a client um, to see if, if that's an option at that time. So again, as I mentioned, no referral or enrolled client can be closed without the approval of the AOT committee. So you wanna always come back and consult with the coordinator. Um, regarding homeless clients um, that are being referred to you guys, again, it is the responsibility to go out um, and do street outreach. You guys have the utilization of flex funds um, for incarcerated clients. Collaboration with jail linkage team is expected. Outreach is done in the jail. So we're hoping that um, some of your team members have the ability to go into the jail, have the clearance for jail. A uh, client may be conditionally released um, or division. Conditional release or diversion cases to AO, sorry, can't say this. Um, so AOT is utilized as for conditional releases as well as for diversion cases. Um, so they are not conditionally released to the AOT program. They are always gonna be conditionally released to the actual FSP provider or the ERS provider. So we may make the arrangements and explain, this is what we have to offer is, is this what the court is willing to agree to? And then once we have the provider, then they will be released over to that specific provider. Um, the provider is responsible for transportation and housing if housing is needed for the individual and they're willing to accept it. Um, regarding hospitalized clients, providers are re to respond within 24 hours to those referrals um, to our AOT team to set up what needs to be done. Um, if the client is at a county hospital, work closely with DMH liaisons for discharge planning following your handoff. Um, the provider, again, is responsible for transportation or housing um, upon the individual's disenrollment from the hospital, discharge from the hospital. Um, so you guys want to make sure you're working with discharge teams. Um, you want to work with discharge from inpatient settings to identify housing and transportation. And again, you guys want to be working with the families. Um, again, this is not talking about the treatment of the individual, especially if the client says they, they don't want their family members to be involved in the treatment. But the HIPAA protects the client's information. It does not prohibit the family from sharing any information with the team. So we do expect that you guys take the family's phone calls and you listen to any of the information they are trying to provide you. Um, again, with AOT, if family is involved, they are well aware that mental health services are being provided and they're well aware of the AOT program. The likelihood is they're the ones that refer them to us. Um, and they definitely know who the provider is. So um, it's no secret. So we do expect that you guys are working with them um, when appropriate and depending on if the client is giving the authorization or not. Even without the authorization, you can still listen to them. Uh, consider referrals to support the, the families, like such as NAMI. Um, regarding collaboration with hospitals, again, we want to make sure you guys are pre-arranging when it relates to discharge. Um, the day of discharge, make sure you guys have, you know, two staff there to pick up the client if you guys are actually picking them up. Um, make sure you have consent if you guys are driving the, the individual. Um, if the client does not want to go with you guys then make sure you're assessing, you know, to make sure that there's no high risk. If there is, then assess to see if maybe you guys need to hospitalize them again um, or call for police assistance if needed. If not, 
there are no high risks, then allow the individual to leave. Just make sure you have a way to probably get in touch with them again, you know, in a few days of the upcoming week. Um, make sure you guys are following all protocols as it relates to field-based and safety if you guys are transporting them. So since COVID, um, we do still expect that the handoffs and the outreach um, to the provider, to the clients while you're working with them is field-based. Um, again, telehealth is acceptable, but many of our clients are, are not at the level where they can do telehealth. It might be because they don't have the technology to do it, or they're just, their mindset isn't there to process utilizing telehealth. Um, as it relates to our court, we are still kind of working as it relates to COVID. We are minimizing the amount of people in the courtroom, um, but we do have some clients coming into court for their progress hearings. And these are the clients who are not being compliant or who are having a more difficult time. So we are bringing them in to try to reinforce the courtroom to them. Um, for petition and extension hearings, we definitely want the providers and the clients to be there. This helps eliminate any barriers to having the, the hearing take place and making sure we're able to observe the client, we're able to hear what everybody is saying. Um, so for those type of hearings, we do really want the client and the provider to be there in the courtroom. Um, again, we, we expect that everybody is practicing the appropriate um, guidelines that have been provided as it relates to COVID. So six feet apart, wearing appropriate PPE, no touching, interviewing when you can outside, you know, engaging the individuals outside instead of in, in a closed quarters. Um, so this is one of those charts that I had shared um, earlier last, last week to kind of walk through our process. Um, so when we get the referral, again, we're checking to make sure that the referral source is appropriate and the client meets the AOT criteria. This is done by our outreach team. Um, if the client does not meet the criteria, then we either refer them to appropriate services or refer them back to the mental health providers who did refer them to us in the first place. Our team will outreach and engage them for about 30 days, minimum of 30 days. If the client accepts services on a voluntary level without our court involvement, then we, um, our team will determine if ERS or FSP is appropriate and make the appropriate referral to the coordinator. And then the client is referred off to the provider. Any questions regarding that information that was just provided? Anything that came up in the chat? Yes, so we do have a couple questions. Um, we'll start with the first one. Although, also, is there a conversation between the O&E team to determine if client is more appropriate for substance use treatment, inpatient or outpatient, instead of mental health services? Or is this conversation initiated by the FSP provider after the O&E attempts? So um, if substance is involved, our, our team usually kind of explores that. Um, if they really think it's a significant issue, they themselves actually might try to work on getting a residential before we even try FSP or ERS. If they don't or the client's unwilling, then they definitely would communicate that back with the providers when you guys are talking um, about maybe their attempts or what they think is needed, but that client's resistant. So they'll communicate that over to you guys. Okay, and um, then we have someone saying, I understand that a provider cannot decline an FSP referral, but what if all providers are at capacity and are not accepting FSP referrals at the time the referral is sent? 
um, then the referral is not going to be made to that provider. So if the provider is at capacity, you guys and your navigation team or myself, if it's the AOT slots, is aware that you're at capacity and can't take, you're, you're not going to get the referral. Um, we do have a wait list. We have had a wait list. Service Area 2 right now currently has a wait list for AOT and adult FSP. So those clients sit on a wait list and our outreach team continue to see them during that window of time till we can refer them over. We have another question about out-of-county Medi-Cal with the expectation for opening a client. Would the client remain under ONE until Medi-Cal is switched or would, be the, would the provider be expected to open the case? Okay, so that's not so much my realm, but um, I, you guys can, if there is an issue and you guys can't open your agency pro practices not to open them because it's out of county, then they would remain in O&E. Um, that just gets communicated over so we know kind of why there's a delay in that enrollment. Um, so while linked to a provider, um, regarding consent for services, so documentation program administration requirements should not be an impediment to obtaining needed services. Verbal consent is acceptable. Um, if you guys utilize, if you're a directly operated or a legal entity and you utilize the DMH consent form, you'll know at the bottom, um, the bottom of that page, there's a box as it relates to client willing but not willing to sign. Um, and so part of the policy is that verbal consent is acceptable. Court order in lieu of verbal or written consent is also acceptable. Um, we double check with QA and, and check the, our you know, DMH's uh, policies and court orders can be used in lieu of verbal and written consent. Um, what we are doing at the moment, so nobody's yet implemented this, but what we are doing at the moment is um, QA is doing a reference guideline for all pro pro providers on how they would handle the paperwork if you're using the court order instead. Um, so we were told hopefully that this week they would give us a finalized version. So hopefully within the next week or so, we will have that and be able to distri uh, distribute it to all providers so they know how to work with those court order clients who's not willing to give any form of consent. Um, and then uh, I had attached the policies that relates to what's needed in the chart and what's needed to open a client for uh, the distribution level of directly operating contracts. And this is kind of where the QA is um, pulling from in regards to allowing for court orders to be used in lieu of the verbal written consent. Regarding treatment plans, um, as I had mentioned um, yesterday, treatment plans are part of the AOT statute. So um, what we're expecting with the treatment plans is that the individual is able to have access necessary for healthcare. They create and maintain a support system. They live in the most independent and least restrictive housing options, um, if it's transitional or permanent, that they're working or they have other productive activities. Um, they have access to educational vocational training. They reduce or eliminate contact with the criminal justice system and violent behavior or violent behavior. They have a reduction in symptoms of clients' mental illness. Um, they obtain adequate income or reduce or eliminate dangerous addictive substance use. So these are things that we would like to see in individuals' treatment plans that they should be working towards and things that may would be available to them as it relates to their treatment plans. Um, so there is no forced medication with the AOT program. 
medication may be part of the court order as it relates to being part of the treatment plan. Um, so we're not saying that they specifically are court ordered to take meds and we cannot force the medication, but if the treatment plan indicates that med support is appropriate and maybe they already saw your psychiatrist and there's a, there's a go that's signed as it relates to med, then the court can reinforce that they should be following their treatment plan. And part of following their treatment plan is that they are following the recommendations as it relates to medication. Um, a large number of our participants actually do take medication. Um, we, we do have those ones that are an outlier who do not take the meds at all, but a large number of them actually end up on meds. So some things to consider, um, even with the AOT program, we still have barriers to treatment. The largest barrier is the lack of insight for individuals onto why they need the services, um, that they have a mental illness. In addition to severe symptoms, um, it's just very hard to, to deal with individuals who, are, who have really severe symptoms. It impacts being able to get them to comply to um, some of our services. Uh, stigma, lack of support, homelessness, and cultural barriers. Um, cultural barriers plays a big role for, for us sometimes. Um, I could think of a handful of clients that we have had where that was one of our biggest barriers in getting them any form of services. Um, so AOT cases. So I wanted to just kind of hit some topics that relates to the type of cases you'll be seeing that are AOT. Um, Non-compliance client, non-compliant clients. This is what AOT, this is who AOT serves. We serve those individuals who are not compliant with services. They have a long history typically of not complying to services, being outreached by multiple outreach teams and, and saying no. And that is kind of where we get involved because again, they've already been offered treatment plans, they've been offered services and they're always saying no and they're not doing well that they get referred over to AOT. Um, if they have that long history, the, the likelihood is that when you guys get these referrals, they're still gonna kind of be non-compliant. Either that's why we court order them or they voluntarily agreed, but they quickly kind of changed their minds. You know, within the, that month of you guys being with them, they're, they're non-compliant or, or they're wishy-washy, they go back and forth. Um, so th this is who we serve and this is kind of what you're always going to be seeing with many of your cases. Um, how we kind of deal with that is that providers need to be relentless in their engagement with the individual. They our providers need to pursue the client. So it's not the client coming to you saying, I want services. Um, it, it's, you know, even with those clients who want services, they're sometimes kind of back and forth as well, but you guys kind of take a back row and you provide as a client comes to you. That's not true with AOT. AOT is the other way around. The providers are pursuing the individual and you are trying to do everything you can to get them to engage with you and your services to some degree. You're meeting them where they're at, right? Um, AOT, typically, Polly, that whole first six months is never about therapy. Um, as I mentioned, the most significant, um, the most utilized service is case management. Um, and medication support, I believe, was the third most utilized service. So providing therapy, it's not on the top. It's not up there. 
you're going to be doing other things and you're going to be trying to meet the client where they're at. Um, and again, you're, you're kind of the one that's seeking out the client and you're looking for them um, and trying to get them to engage in the services you guys have to offer to them. The black robe effect. Um, this is, relates to our court, but it even relates to the voluntary clients. Again, I mentioned only 26% of our clients that are enrolled are uh, petitioned clients. So the rest are voluntary. And a good number, especially because they're, you know, they have that history of non-compliance, they're complying because they don't want to end up in court. They don't want to be in front of a judge. They don't want to be tied um, to any justice system. So they're complying. And then those who end up in court, those who do comply, they're kind of the same thing. They're, they're trying to get rid of the court um, or because of their judge, they want to make sure that they're doing what they need to do. So that's what the black robe effect is, is, you know, that the, that the courtroom has, um, the courtroom is what's making the individuals do comply with the services. This doesn't work for every individual. There is a handful of people out there who do not care that they're in front of a judge, that they've been court ordered, um, that law enforcement might be involved, that they are, might get hospitalized. They don't care and they're not gonna comply. Um, we do what we can with those cases and we work through the process so that we can say we did what we could, um, but in the end it, it doesn't work. But then there's a larger number that, you know, that black robe effect really does work on the voluntary level as well as on the court order level. Um, AOT is the last outpatient option for clients, um, really. You know, we have, the, their clients can be court ordered in many different ways. And some of them even have, um, consequences to that court order. Um, but truthfully, I mean, those consequences usually don't end up anywhere either. A lot of them don't get picked up and put back into jail because they were not non, because they weren't compliant. It usually does not happen that way, even though that could be a consequence. AOT does not have that type of consequence. Um, but on an outpatient level, um, we have the ability to court order them into services and, and hopefully we get that compliance. But why we say that we're kind of that last option for individuals is that how we have operated is that if we are unsuccessful, if we have outreach, we have signed them to a provider, we ended up seeking a petition, we ended up hospitalizing them through that petition, um, we kept them for the six months or maybe even less months under that court order or, or a year, some of them, and the client still in the end was unsuccessful, um, then there's not much more anyone can do. And at that moment, then FSPs, AOT will, will, will be done with that individual, that case for that moment. Um, they can always be referred back. They can always come around. We have many clients who cycle back. But in that moment, we can at least say that as a department, as legal entities, directly operated clinics, we have done everything we can on an outpatient level to get that person to comply or participate in mental health services and they still refuse of their own free will. And so at that moment, there's not much more any provider can do. Um, so that's kind of how, why we see ourselves as that last option on the outpatient side. Um, in addition, um, wanna let all providers know that AOT clients has, eyes on them. There are many eyes, not on all our clients, but on many of our clients. 
there are lots of eyes on these cases. We get many calls and emails from law enforcement, from med clinicians, um, from other clinics, from hospitals, from people in the community, um, board of supervisors, anybody you can think of, we get calls on our clients wanting to know what are we doing and they know that the client was referred to us or was the client referred to us. So you may be getting emails and calls from us saying, uh, you know, kind of heads up, this is what we heard your client did. Uh, are you aware or can you please follow up because this is what we're being told. So there are many eyes on AOT clients. So just making sure that you guys are doing all you're supposed to be doing. And again, that, that relentlessness and that pursuit of the individual um, until we determine that there's not much more that can be done. Um, so in Romans, um, again, a Roman should occur on the same day of the handoff or within the following week of the handoff being completed. Um, I hope that you guys can email me with your enrollment date because sometimes the SRTS is due to maybe staffing or stuff. They're not, the dispositions are not entered in on time. We keep track of this because, again, those phone calls that are coming in or because of maybe the state report, we want to know where our status is of our client. Um, enrollments, um, the updates in the, in the SRTS and enrollments should occur within 24 hours of you guys enrolling the clients. So the SRTS workflow for authorization. Um, it was in, it's going to be on the UCLA's page. They will be uploading um, the workflow for you guys to actually see. This is kind of just a, a, a little bit different workflow than what was written up. So as of effective of July, um, this workflow more obtains to clients who have um, providers who have the 300 allocated AOT slots. Um, but step one, two, and three will also be true for the adult FSP slots. So our outreach and engagement team creates the SRTS, transfers it to the AOT FSP coordinator with the request for, um, with the transfer reason request for services. I review it, make sure we have everything we need in it, and also figure out if we have slots with our, one of our 300, one of, if one of the 300 slots are available. Um, if so, then I will transfer it over to, I'm um, sorry, jumping ahead. Um, I double check who has a slot available. And if not, then I prepare to make the request for an adult FSP client. My transfer reason is going to be pre-authorized for services. Um, and in the transfer comments section, I'm going to indicate that it should be referred over to an AOT provider. So I'm going to use Masada Homes. Um, so it's going to say, please please send over to Masada Homes, whatever their provider number is, AOT FSP. That's how their location appears in SRTS. If that is not there, then it's going to say to the navigator to please refer the client to an adult FSP provider. And there is going to be four more statements there. One, um, they're going to indicate that this is an AOT referral. The client is appropriate for FSP ser services. Uh, AOT guidelines should um, AOT guidance should be followed. Uh, the provider should reach out to the outreach and engagement team for handoff and that that guideline form was given to the navigator to provide to the provider. So those are the comments that are written in the comments section when I'm asking for an adult FSP client. Now there might be times where um, those comments might be in the transfer section and the case ends up with an AOT provider. And that might be because the client was sitting on the wait list with the navigator. 
because there was no provider at all available, adult or ALT, and they were waitlisted. Um, so when they get waitlisted, I'm going to ask for that adult FSP slot when I send it over. But during that period in which they're waitlisted, maybe an AOT slot became available. So instead, I change it over and send it to an AOT provider. I'm not, or I'm not going to ask for the SRTS to come back and delete that transfer or anything. We're just going to leave it as is, but it's going to get routed to the AOT provider instead because the slot became available. Um, so step three, it's going to end up with the service area navigation team. And again, they're going to follow whichever direction I gave. If it's meant to go to an AOT provider, then they're automatically going to transfer it over because a slot has already been determined to be available. Um, if not, if it's going to go to an adult provider, depending on that navigation team, um, they either told me that they have a slot available and that's why I sent it to them. And so, you know, within a day or two, depending if they're there or not, their workload, they will send it over to whichever FSP they determined was um, available to take it. Some navigators are asking me to send the SRTS to them no matter what, if they have a slot or not. And so all it's doing is that if they don't have a slot, it's sitting there on their wait list waiting for when a, a provider becomes available. Um, when they make the transfer over, so step four occurs, they're also going to indicate that it's pre-authorized for services. And step four is when it's with the provider. You guys are to complete your warrant handoff. Um, you transfer the record for those. So not, this is where it changes. Step four is when, if it's one of the eight, um, the 300 slots for AOT, the provider is going to transfer the record over to the AOT FSP coordinator location and ask for authorization for services. Um, in their transfer comments section, they should be entering the date of enrollment. Um, for adult FSP providers, if the client's sitting on your slot, you're gonna go to the normal, you're gonna utilize the adult FSP authorization workflow, which means that you guys are sending it over to adult admin to ask for authorization. So for those providers who have both AOT and adult, you need to make sure whoever handles SRTS knows what slot specifically this client is sitting on so they know who the SRTS needs to go to. Some are gonna come over to the AOT FSP coordinator if it's one of those original 300 slots, or it's gonna go over to um, the FSP admin. Uh, step five is where either the FSP admin or the AOT coordinator is gonna authorize the service. Um, whoever is authorizing the service is also informing the other party, the navigators, that the client has now been authorized for services. Um, and then step six is when it returns to the provider and they should be putting in the disposition that the client has been authorized and enrolled in a specialized program, um, FSP. Uh, so what is an extension request? This is a term you guys are gonna be hearing often while you're working with AOT. Um, extension request is when a provider makes a request to have the client continue in AOT services past the initial 180 days. Again, AOT voluntary and court order clients are only um, initially with the program for 180 days. Doesn't mean that they automatically discharge at 180 days. We do not expect anyone to discharge anyone at that point. 
but plans need to be made for what's the next step. We'll talk about what that means for court-ordered clients tomorrow, but in regards to those clients who are voluntary when they reach their 180 days, the providers should be reaching out um, to the coordinator, to myself, to indicate what they want to do. Um, do they want to extend? And the extensions are always going to be for another 180 days, but it does not mean the client needs to be in AOT for another 180 days. Maybe you just need two or three more months. Um, and that is perfectly fine, but you're being approved for another 180 days. Um, or you guys think that the client is ready to step down to that next level of care. And so you're gonna put in a, information related to that and begin maybe that discharge process. But if you're gonna go over the six, the initial six months, then you guys should be making an extension request. Um, and that's, that's a written request. Uh, so you're providing a summary of the client's treatment and the rationale to why you guys feel like you need more time with that individual within AOT. And you will provide a copy of the client's treatment plan to the coordinator. Um, I typically, for the most part, always approve these. Um, it's a rare day when I don't. And usually if I don't approve them and I have a conversation about why, you know, to see why we really can't set them down, that's not after the first 180 days. That might be at a year and a half mark or two year mark when I start kind of saying, can we really not set this person down yet? Um, usually that initial request after the first 180 days, I am, I think I've always approved them all. I don't think I've ever questioned why we're not doing it. Um, so reasons to extend. Um, it's not limited to the following reasons, but you might want to continue to extend with an AOT for a voluntary case because there's continued deterioration. The client has been hospitalized over the last six months or incarcerated in the last six months. There's been frequent calls to FSP providers, uh, SMART, MET, PMRT related to crisis. There's been no progress at all towards their treatment goals. The team has barely began the report building. Again, remember, these clients are, are the more difficult cases, they're the non-compliant cases. So it may have taken you six months, five, four months to really begin your rapport building with the individual and getting them to, to finally kind of start seeing you guys on a regular basis and working with you. So you might not want to just yet let them out of AOT. Um, maybe medication compliance just began and you guys are still trying to figure out the meds. Um, this can be seen two ways now. So this was um, because an FSP is an FSP. Uh, you guys, obviously, if you felt like AOT was the needed, but FSP was still needed um, because it would remain with your own agency still, AOT might be able to get dropped because you're you're still going to be able to monitor the client in the same way regards to meds because FSP would be FSP. Um, but if there's any chance that that's not going to be the case and client really doesn't need an FSP and can go lower, then you might want to keep them for a few more months just to make sure that the stabilization on the med and the right meds are being given before switching them over. Um, or a, a recent upcoming, recent or upcoming life changes such as housing, job replacement. Again, that might be the same as the medication. If they're going to remain with the same FSP team, then it might not be no no problem stepping them out of AOT and going into FSP. But if you're trying to step them even lower than FSP, then you might want to hold them on for a few months within AOT before you make that switch over. Um, so this is kind of just a sample. It does not need to look like this when you make your extension request. 
again, we just want to kind of know um, how the client was doing during the course of treatment. Um, why you guys are making the request to extend them? You know, what are you trying to address with the additional time? And then what their compliance had been with the services and what your services kind of have been looking like. This is kind of in, in here is sometimes where I catch those ones and I question if why we're keeping them because if they're telling me we're only seeing the client once a month, okay, well, wait, that doesn't mean AOT, that doesn't even mean FSP anymore. So, you know, that's where that the letter kind of helps me figure out, you know, should we really approve for the extension? Graduation criteria. So when a client is successful in AOT and is ready to step down to that next level, that is often what we refer to as graduation. So somebody who's met some or all of their treatment goals, they've had no hospitalizations, no incarceration, no police contact um, for the last six months while in AOT, they're medication compliant. That might not always be true, but they're medication compliant. Um, they have a willingness to continue on with mental health services. They might have secure, stable housing. They've had, uh, have hygiene proficiency, the meaningful activities in their life, financial stability. They've developed a support network. Um, if there was substance use involvement, it's no longer an interruption in their life. They may have gained full employment. That's a handful of our clients. Many of them don't reach that point while they're in AOT. Um, these type of reasons is why we would say that a person has graduated from AOT and are ready to go to that next level of care. So reasons for disenrollment. Um, the person has obviously graduated from AOT, they're ready to step down in level of care. So that's usually um, the last box on the dis second to the last box on the disenrollment form that they met their treatment goals. That, that's what we, when that box is checked is when we're checking that they're, they've graduated. Um, they have passed away, they've been detained, they're in residential services for a longer term, or they've been conserved. Um, they're unable to locate, they moved out of the county. Discontinue, that's really not an option with the AOT program. Um, and uh, the only time we kind of use that one as a possibility is like when the petition was denied or we terminated the petition, but client was still non-compliant and was unwilling to continue with the um, petition term due to, um, by statute of law, the petition terminated. Sorry, I couldn't figure out the language. Um, so that might be when we actually use that. It's rare when that one gets chosen. <clears throat> so this is a disenrollment form. This is actually the one that we've been utilizing in AOT, which looks like the normal, except for the bottom signatures. There's only one signature since AOT is the only one that, um, the AOT coordinator had been the only one approving it, but the reasons are all the same. The other one that we, we don't use either is a target population. I cannot think of um, the only time that we might use that, and it is really, really rare when the client has been enrolled already, is if um, the client doesn't meet the ALT criteria. And so what I mean is that the client has probably been with you guys for six months. Maybe they've been with you for a year under ALT. At that point, client is now refusing services. Um, and we try to see about a petition, but when we go to see about a petition, we realize that the legal criteria for AOT is no longer met at that moment. And usually that what that means is that 
the, the hospitalizations have fell out of the window or the threat or the forensic episodes have fallen out of the window um, or um, we can't say that the client is deteriorating um, or that we can, you know, with a new SB 507 that we're preventing the relapse of deterioration. Those components do not fit. We really do not believe that those things are there anymore. If that's the case and the client is saying they don't want services with you, then that's when that box could be checked. So again, this is gonna be a client after six months, after a year or so, when, when we can't petition them because we don't have the grounds that we would choose that box. Otherwise it will never be chosen for an enrolled AOT client. Um, so as I mentioned, you guys aren't able to close without the approval of the committee. So you guys will need to send a paper disenrollment form um, a copy of the CCCP if you're saying that the client met the treatment goals and a summary if you're saying the client met the treatment goals um, for graduation to the AOT FSP coordinator who will present your request to the AOT committee, which happens on Tuesdays, to see if the committee approves for the disenrollment of the client. Um, the letter in the CCCP is not needed if it's a person who left the county, a person who's unable to locate or were hospital, um, who were conserved or who was in jail, that additional documentation is not needed. It just needs to make sure that the form has that info. So we know why we're, why we're trying to close them. If the committee approves, then I email back the provider to say that the committee has approved and what the next steps are. In that email, I'm also gonna say if anything's missing in OMAs that needs to be done before the disenrollment is processed. Um, if it's not, if it's not a client who's gonna step down to your regular FSP, then as soon as everything has been cleared, almost are taken care of, you got the okay, then you can move forward with submitting SRTS to ask for disenrollment. Um, if it's gonna to go to your FSP, then we will need to take steps to make sure that we indicate that the client is no longer in AOT, but is remaining with the FSP. It's not gonna be a change, um, for those sitting on adult slots, it's not going to be a change in SRTS paperwork. It's just going to be the communication between navigators, you guys, and us to say when is client officially done with AOT. Um, and then like within OMAs, that, um, no, that, that would be it. For those sitting on AOT slots, we're going to have to transfer that case over. And so that's going to involve the SRTS and making sure we have the new dates of when the client got switched over. So this is just a sample of what the letter would look like if you're asking for disenrollment based off of graduation. You're again, indicating what the client's compliance with services has been, their progress has been. Um, you're gonna wanna make sure that we are well aware that there's no like police hospitalizations, arrests over the last six months, no deterioration. Um, and then what the plan is for ongoing services. So those that we graduate, we hope that they're graduating because they're taking the step to the next level of care so that they can continue on with their mental health services. So we wanna know what it is. Um, if they're gonna go to someone's uh, outpatient program, wellness program, OSC, or if they're gonna stay with an, their FSP team on adult side if they're sitting on the AOT slot. So that's kind of the indication we would want there. Uh, this is the workflow for, AO, for um, the AOT. Disenrollment, you, again, you need everybody, adult or AOT uh, slot needs the approval from the committee. You make sure your OMAs are done. Um, and then you use the existing SRTS that the record was sent to you for the AOT 
um, you submit that to the AOTFSP coordinator to ask, sorry, to the service area navigator to ask for authorization for disenrollment. In the transfer comments section, you're gonna indicate why the reason for disenrollment. Um, and I am asking as we're all transitioning to this new process that you also email me to indicate that you sent that SRTS. So that way I can follow up and make sure that the navigator sends it over. Step two would be that the navigation team will send it to the AOT FSP coordinator. This is if it's on one of the 300 AOT slots with the transfer reason request for disenrollment. I will review it, make sure all the documents that are supposed to be uploaded are there. Make sure that OMAS has been completed. If I had indicated in my email to you that something was missing in OMAS and if everything is done and good, um, then we, I will approve for disenrollment. I will let the navigator know that I have approved and it will be sent back to the provider. Um, with those clients who are stepping down, who are moving to another provider, no matter if they're AOT slots or adult slots, we need to know that that linkage happened. The client won't be approved unless we know that the linkage has happened. Um, so you guys are responsible to see through that the client is connected to that next agency. If they're not connected, then it comes back to see, should we be petitioning? So if the clients are saying, I don't want services, I don't want services, and they're not doing good, then we need to bring it back and see if we need to do a petition on that client instead. And then if not, if they're doing well, they're taking their meds and they're just not following through, then the likelihood is that we'll just approve for the disenrollment. But if there's any barriers to making that linkage, the team needs to bring it back. And we need to figure out if AOT needs to stay in and does a petition need to be utilized. Um, so flex funds, um, I just wanted to make a quick note. So those, um, those are clients that are on a 300 AOT slots. Your uh, invoices are still being approved by the ALT program. Um, so Linda Boyd is approving them. I'm reviewing them, making sure everything looks correct. If I have any questions and I'm reaching out to contracts who then reaches out to your staff to ask anything that we might need. Um, and Linda approves them if they're appropriate. The SIRs should be sent to me. Um, and again, I review them and then I'll get Linda to approve them. Uh, for the client sitting on adults, your stuff is still going to adult admin for FSP um, and relates to your invoices. Now, uh, one of those agencies that had the original contracts for AOT, let's say you have an adult program and one of the AOT, maybe one or two AOT clients are sitting on your adult slot. It is okay to include those two clients on your invoice that's related to all those other ALT clients. I talked with Alex and he was like, I could approve them if they're, if they're appropriate, the purchases, I could approve them because it's one or two clients, you know, and they're mixed in with all the rest of them. You don't have to worry about separating them all out um, just in case they, some of them have slid in that way. So it's okay if that happens. Um, so some outcomes, this is just kind of to let you see. So from, all those cases that have been um, referred over to providers. Um, sorry. So we have we have accepted 2,237 individuals. Of those individuals, 1,733 have been closed um, for the following reasons. The big uh, pie chart 
are all the reasons that we close cases who were accepted um, to have met, who are accepted into AOT and determined to have met criteria. So you see about 15% of the 1733 clients um, were graduated. It's, it's not a large number, it's a small number. Our largest percent that we close for is um, for the client being in, in treatment. I'm sorry, no, unable to locate is the largest number, 28%. Um, then it's for clients who are in treatment, different level of care. So that's two options. Um, and what that means is that either during our outreach and engagement, the client was able to be connected to another service and they, and they remain compliant with that service. Our team will monitor them usually for a month to make sure they stay compliant. And if they do, then we close them because um, now they're no longer compliant, so they don't meet our criteria. Or sometimes when they're connected to providers, they somehow get referred somewhere else. They kind of lose touch with the FSP provider and they get connected somewhere else and they remain compliant. So the provider is able to close because the client's in treatment somewhere else and, and they're following through with that other treatment. So those are, those are reasons why we say clients in treatment and that we close. The different level of care would be the clients who got conserved, FSPs who, um, refer them over to ERSs instead, and now they're at an ERS level of care. Um, that would be the different level of care and why we close them under that one. In regards to the unable to locate, um, of the uh, 1,773 that we accepted and closed, 654 clients were identified as homeless at the time of referral. Um, of those 654 homeless clients, 255 were closed for unable to locate. So resulting in 52% of our unable to locate cases being homeless. Um, so that is why we have such a large number as it relates to unable to locate individuals that get closed. Um, we also close sometimes because we determine that the clients are primary drugs. Mental health is not, they may have a mental health, but the biggest issue is drugs. And if we can't get them into residential treatment, then there's not much we can do at that moment. And so we've closed some cases like that. Others is that we, in the end, determine, so this is more in the outreach phase, in the end, we determine it's not really mental health, it is just drugs. Um, so we close in that aspect. The top pie chart is related to the clients who have been referred to an ERS or FSP provider. So we have, of the 1,733 cases that we accepted, 1,187 clients, 68% of those that met criteria were referred to an ERS or FSP provider. Of that, 31% graduated from the FSP or the ERS. 29% um, were discharged for one of these reasons outside of graduation that is listed in the big pie chart. And then 40% were canceled. And we cancel referrals um, because we were unable, we were unable to complete the handoff related to being unable to locate the client of, you know, when we got around to trying to hand them off. They were incarcerated for long term. They were conserved. They left the county. Those are the main big reasons um, that we would have canceled a referral. So while you guys are working with an AOT case, um, the, uh, the following information is who you're gonna be coordinating with. 
So if you guys made a referral and you needed a status update, you can call the number that's listed here. That's our main line for AOT, or you can email the general AOT email address to ask for a status on your referral. Um, if you're trying to consult on a referral that was sent to you, you need to schedule the handoff. And while you're working on getting a successful handoff, your communication is gonna be done with the outreach and engagement team that's assigned to that case. You should have been given the name of the team, um, their email address and their cell phone number so that communication can happen. At any point past the successful handoff of the individual to you guys, your communication is gonna be done with the coordinator, which is me. And so there's my email address and um, that desk number is actually no longer gonna be in use after Monday of next week. Um, so I can be reached at 213-300-4584. Again, it's 213-300-4584. That's my work style. I don't yet have my new work desk number. Any questions regarding that information has been given? The handoff is not complete until the client agrees to FSP services. Y yes. Um, and again, that, that's, that could be verbal as long as they're agreeing. And, and it's not so much that they're agreeing to FSP services. They're agreeing to services with you guys. So I know once there was one agency that was like, they need to agree to everything, case management, therapy, medication. I forgot what else was part of that. And that is not true. They just need to be agreeing to participate in services with your agency. Um, it, it, they do not have to say yes to every single thing that your team would technically be offering. Okay. And then what if a client refuses to meet with our psychiatrist for a medication evaluation? That is fine. What, um, they're not all going to agree. And, are, you know, some of them might take a few months before they finally agree to that. And, and that is perfectly fine. With petition clients, um, we really want the teams to attempt to get that evaluation done. So that way the court will at least know if medication is being recommended and what medication. Obviously, for the most part, probably every client of ours meds are going to be recommended, but at least for our team to know so that way they can go back and be like, again, your treatment plan would be for meds and, and you know, they can reinforce that idea to the client without having the eval done, then they can't do that. Um, you might not, you still might not be successful. Clients still might say no, but at least scheduling it. I know a lot of agencies don't schedule it unless the client agrees. Um, so for petition clients, we would still want the providers, even if clients not agreeing in that moment to try to schedule it and, and, and then work on the client in that meantime to the appointment occurs to try to get their buy-in to go to the appointment. Um, for the voluntary cases, it's still important to do that, but um, we know that they, they might say no and we understand that and you guys might not schedule. So it's just a hope that while you're working with them, you can maybe at some point get them to agree to it. Our next question is, is there any data on how much or what percent the black robe effect works with clients so we can share this with our FSP teams? No, but that is a number that I can start trying to figure out and bring about um, in the future to you guys. Uh, it's not something I've thought about running yet. 
And then when you say a client could be stepped down to regular FSP, could you clarify what would change in terms of services for the client or expectations from the provider? So um, it was very different before July. So that so making that statement now, I'm meaning um, I'm referring to those clients that are sitting on the 300 AOT slots. Um, because if we don't need AOT, if you don't think that you need to kind of uh, jingle over the client, the court, you know, that there, there's a potential of need, the court being involved with them. If you don't need that because they've been fully compliant, there, there's no issues about them like kind of disengaging, then really they don't need to be in AOT anymore. They don't need AOT um, and they probably just need to remain in FSP because they need that level still then we would step them down in the sense that we're going to move them out of that AOT slot to allow that slot to become available because there's only 300 of those slots, um, but they're going to still be an FSP client. So the services will still all be the same. It's just we're removing them out of that slot so that it becomes free for somebody else. Um, after this fiscal year, who knows if those 300 slots will really exist still or not, if they would just be put in in the general population of adult. But during this year, we still have that Pacific 300 slots that are only being used for AOT. Um, so if we don't need a client sitting on that slot anymore, we would like to be able to move them out of it. But again, they might still need FSP. So we're just moving them over to your adult slot instead. Um, but the services will remain the same. So sh she just wanted to make sure that means that this takes court options off the table. It does. It will. Okay. And then is the AOT flex fund cost limits guidelines the same as FSP guidelines? They are. Okay. And I believe we have two more. <laughs> um, what type of documents need to be presented to AOT to show that the client's primary issue is drugs? Court is involved, client is compliant with medications, but symptoms are ongoing uh, due to drug use. When it's a court-ordered client, it honestly is a little bit more complicated. Um, usually those clients still remain in the AOT program and still remain petitioned, um, even when drug use is um, more the primary. We try to work on seeing if we can get the client to comply with substance abuse services, and, and that's what the court would work on. Um, we have had orders for them to, you know, allow themselves to be assessed to determine appropriate level of care under substance abuse. Um, it doesn't always work. But again, it's just working through that process. Um, compared to a voluntary case where we might close a client that we determine is primary drugs, it's not really accurate to say with um, with the court ordered. This is something we can you can reach out to me if you want to kind of discuss it a little bit more. Okay, so um, Willie Harris and Catherine Felix are two of our current AOT providers. Uh, Willie has. Ooh, Willie's been here before I got here, I think. Uh, so he's been with us for quite a while. And Catherine is um, newer, but she's also been, I think, about two years. Catherine, you've been with us? Yes. Okay. Um, so Willie's with Tarzana Treatment Center and Catherine was Behavioral Health Services. Uh, they have been working with our clients, so I asked them to join us. I know we have 
little more than 15 minutes, but hopefully they can answer these questions that we have. And if any additional questions you guys might have, maybe they can stay on and answer for you guys if we get past 11. Um, since Willie's doing something, I will start with Catherine. On um, my first question for you guys were to share your approach to a warm handoff. Um, some of the key points that I would like you guys to address is how you how do you address services being offered, keeping in mind about not saying that the client has a choice to decline the service. How do you address indecisive clients during the warm handoff? And then how do you work on enrolling the client during your first or second contact? If Catherine, you'd like to kind of share your opinion? Oh, I kind of, how I prep myself beforehand is I really do communicate with the O&E team uh, just to see where they're at currently in regards to their feelings towards just mental health services in general. Um, then if I, I'll tailor my answer towards whatever I see them, see the client in front of me then. So I kind of generalize it saying kind of like, you know, AOT, assisted outpatient treatment, um, our goal is to be able to help you wherever you want to go in life. So I give examples. So I say, um, you know, we can help you, you know, find housing, we could help you uh, keep up with medications, but what is it that you really want? And I kind of generate my report off that. Um, when I have indecisive clients, I kind of just say, well, what is one example is that I had a client tell me like, what I want out of life is $10,000 cash right now. And I'm just like, well, let's find where, let's get the money together. <laughs> and I kind of like, they joke around like that. So I'm being able to just have a conversation with them instead of just going straight into like, a, this is what AOT is and this is it. And you have to comply. This, I kind of very much do friendly terms off that. Um, I always have my intake packet, uh, printed out and ready. Uh, I have it highlighted and I kind of explain generally what I prep them beforehand. I'm like, yes, this is a packet. You do have to sign it, but, oh, it'll go quick. And I'll have a conversation with them while they're filling it out. So that's kind of, um, to summarize my approach. Oh, Willie, are you back with us yet or? Yes, I'm, I'm back. I'm ready. Okay. So we're talking about the warm handoff process. Uh, how do you address being offering services to the provider? Keeping in mind, not saying that they can, they have a choice to decline, how you handle indecisive clients during the warm handoff. And then how do you work on enrolling the client during the first or second contact? So if you want to share us your opinions on those. Okay. So I work with a case manager uh, during a warm handoff and the O&E team. Um, I work with two different teams. I usually follow their lead. They make the introduction and they'll usually talk to them for a bit, try to explain who we are. And I kind of go off, a, uh, off their mood and the conversation that they're having with the potential client. And from there, I know that when we come out, we bring consent forms and we're doing our uh, case management part of the intake right there. And I also conduct some parts of the assessment because 
um, sometimes we may not get that second opportunity to really get patients who are really symptomatic. So while they're in a good mood, we get as much signed as possible. We explain the program to them. Even with the difficult clients, uh, we've been able to talk to men, uh, talk to clients and into at least signing a consent form for services. It's on that rare occasion where somebody just refuses services altogether. But uh, generally, you know, we cover all the ethical and legal stuff first, get that out the way. Um, and just the, the main thing is that when I approach uh, AOT clients, it's to be friendly and to be genuine with them. Uh, don't get too technical. Uh, ask them what they want, you know, what their expect, expectations are. And a lot of times they'll tell you. And sometimes they'll tell you, I don't want services. And then I might have to use some motivational interviewing a little bit to get them to uh, realize that uh, it'll be in their best interest to accept services at this time. Um, don't usually have to mention the judge or anything like that, but I remind them that they're volunteer, you know, that they did a complete a voluntary service agreement where they volunteer for the, the program to avoid some other negative outcome. And from there, usually they're pretty cooperative, but that doesn't mean that they re are going to remain so the next week. So like I said before, we get all the consent forms and releases of authorization for re release of information signed that day so that we can continue to work on them. Uh, and complete the warm handoff. Okay. Um, so my next question, and Willie, you were kind of going towards there. So I wanted you guys to share your experience and approach with working with difficult cases. Um, so anything that comes to mind on how you guys approach your difficult cases you have. And I'm Willie, I know you have a lot. <laughs> so you want to get started? <laughs> yes, I, I, have, um, I have a difficult case where you know, after we complete the warm handoff assessments and treatment goals have been done, uh, clients flat out refuse to see me anymore. Um, and sometimes that requires a petition, the petition process, which you discussed a little bit about, where we end up taking the court. But before we get to that, I've had uh, Nancy, which is the public defender for our AOT clients, um, I've had her come out here to Lancaster and see the client to remind them that they volunteer for services. And from that point on, I, it, it, it has worked out well, but for the ones that don't even respond to that, then we have to go forward with the petition to re-engage them into accepting the services. Um, I, I hope that kind of answered the question with difficult clients. Um, how are you with the voluntary ones? What do you, is there anything in particular that you maybe on a routinely do when it's a dif, uh, difficult voluntary client? Yes, I, uh, I have, I'll give an example. I have a client right now who is currently squatting in a house uh, that they don't own, the family doesn't own any longer. And we've had the client removed from the house and Locks changed on the doors, but somehow the client got back into the house and continues to squat. 
Well, that's not my problem so much. I still engage the client in the house that he's squatting in and the client refuses medication. Um, matter of fact, myself and the case manager are the only two people that he'll talk to in the program. He won't really engage with anybody else. So uh, we just continue to work with him where he's at and hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Okay, Catherine? Uh, basically, sort of the same thing. Uh, beforehand, I'll reach out to the to the ONE team to kind of do like a like a second handoff or a reminder of like what AOT really is and what it does mean to kind of participate and help me re-engage with the client. Um, sometimes it does have to lead to a, a petition or also sometimes what I'll do is I'll come every day or, or as much as I can to just stop by and say like, hi, like, remember me, I'm here. Do you need anything um, just for a client to kind of see consistency? It does help out in the long run. So I'll say like, hey, do you, we could go grocery shopping right now. Do you need anything? Helping them to, if they're very much isolating to get them to step out of their, wherever they're living at and to make sure that they have some basic needs met. That sounds like with the difficult cases, kind of that relentless and that pursuit you guys are doing with those. <laughs> All right. So hey, can sure. I add something, Monique, can I add something to that? Because yep. you just reminded me. A lot of, there's on those occasions where I have clients that won't engage therapy, but they'll engage the case manager mm -hmm. because they want stuff. So we'll go ahead and provide the stuff. And the hope is that at some point they also will engage in therapy too. And oftentimes that's the case. They see that we're not out to hurt them or something like that. And they'll re-engage after they figured out that we actually there just to help. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys can share your experience working with petition clients, any recommendations that you would have for providers on how to utilize the court team during that time window? Mm -hmm. Catherine, you want to start? <laughs> okay. So um, one thing I do have to say is uh, the court team is definitely there to help you both sides and when you are doing, going through the process of completing the petition, they do reach out to you and you know they ask you what can they do to assist you. And during progress, uh, the progress reports, you do put down everything that you are going through, what the client has done, good and bad, and what you need to do to help. And they will reach out to you beforehand and they'll ask you what can we do to help? Or if the client doesn't even show up to court, they will ask you in court, what can we do in the meantime? So. They are there to really do help you. They're not, um, it's not scary. So I guess you could say, but it's very much uh, productive towards the treatment of the client. Willie, you have anything to add? Uh, yes, it, it's, it was kind of strange for me the first time that I started petitioning uh, some of my clients was that uh, they understand what court is. They mm -hmm. don't like court. Um, the one thing that I don't do is let them know there's minimal consequences if they don't uh, do what's being asked of them. 
Because if I tell them, well, the court really can't do anything to you not going to jail. Well, I, I really don't tell them that. I just let them think whatever it is they think about going to court and the judge. And that has to do with that black robe effect, right? And they tend to respond to that for the most part. It's just that rare person that doesn't care one way or the other that it's a judge and they're in the courtroom. Um, but yeah, I, that's one thing I would recommend. Don't go into too much detail about what court is about because they are normally used to dealing with court where they're getting arrested and actually going to jail and stuff like that. So if that's the belief they hold, I kind of let them continue to believe that uh, if it changes the behavior. And I find that to be effective, you know, when we're getting into sessions and stuff and when it comes to cooperation and compliance. Okay. Um, really quick, um, I will say also if your client is, if there are a lot, some legal issues that the client, that the client's not really disclosing to you, um, you can reach out to uh, the public defense, the AOT public defender to really help you with like breaking down what are those other legal issues going through and she is responsive and she would help you with that. Um, and then the last that I had for you guys for myself was to share a successful story or a memorable case that you had had the opportunity to work with while working with AOT. So I have one client, um, really quick background, Hispanic, uh, late 20s, and also a diagnosis of schizoaffective and also uh, Tourette's. So hand in hand, uh, He's very, he has social anxiety and doesn't like to leave his home due to his uh, tics. They sometimes are very, uh, they're verbal and uh, involve like muscular, like movement of arms and legs and he will bark and other things of that nature. Um, he has gotten assaulted in public due to his tics because he does curse and sometimes will say some uh, racist epithets. One thing that, I was able to help him with is connect him to some meaningful activities. So he was always I trying to identify somewhere to belong. He was able to identify with um, a religion that was accepting of him and his, I guess to say his diagnosis um, and able to get him to a place where he is met, uh, met compliant and wanting to be able to reach out to other communities um, or other sub communities and see that in pub that you're not going to get assaulted in, pu in public if you were to go to Walmart per se. Um, we went to Walmart one time and a Walmart employee came up to us and I thought at first it was to like tell him something because his tics were really loud but she was like you have tics too wow like that's something like I feel so seen right now and that really made his day to be able to say know that other people are going through what he's going through and now he's at a point where he has SSI, he wants to have the ability to work and he wants to go back to school to uh, go into like music. So that's one. Okay. Lily, do you have one? Yes, I, I have several, but I'm only gonna talk about one case in particular. Okay. Um, a 40 somethings uh, female client, uh, when we first engaged this client, they were living in tents in a field, um, running naked down the street on occasions. And 
um, unmedicated. And now the person, uh, they're in their own apartment. Um, they're paying their bills and they wanting to do more at this time. We still have them on the caseload because uh, the client doesn't feel they're ready to really act totally on their own, but we're moving toward that. And the person was also a meth addict and has been clean now for 18 months or better, which uh, is like a 180 degree turnaround in this person's life. And that's one of the things that you will notice working with AOT is that family members and even sometimes the clients, they don't want to let our services go, okay? Because I've had clients that would just do stuff in order not to be let go so that they can stay in the program. I had parents still call once their uh, family members are out of AOT, wanting to get back in the AOT because of the, just because of the service and the personal nature of the services how we provide the services. But uh, this person has really did an exceptional job. I'm looking forward to graduating a person when they're ready. And sometimes when an extreme case like that, I, don't, I just don't wanna just put them out there on their own if they say they're not ready. Um, but I am preparing this person for that eventuality. Um, that was all I had. Do either of you guys want to share something that you think might be important for providers to know? Really make friends. If you have clients that are staying in like, um, like permanent supportive housings or boarding cares, really make friends with the housing staff because they will pull through for you when you need them at some time. So example is I have a client at Skid Row and you know I don't know if a lot of people know this but it's very hard to find safe parking in Skid Row and I'm able since I made a connection with the housing and made them aware that I will be there once a week or twice a week if needed they allowed me to use their protective uh what do you call it covered garage so that's one thing a safety in my opinion that we kind of all need. Uh, another thing that um, when it comes to uh, safety, which you will have, I mean, read the report that you get uh, on the referral. Um, have been socked in a jaw before by a patient mm -hmm. uh, unexpectedly. Uh, read the reports on those patients that have been known to hit people when unprovoked. You know, it's not that they're doing it on purpose. It's just one of their symptoms they're hallucinating at the time and also as far as because I work in the community I have been into trap houses uh, for those of you who don't know what a trap house is it's a place where people are using illicit drugs and kind of just sleeping um, you know be careful, keep your head on the swivel in those kind of environments. Because one thing about AOT is that we definitely go wherever the patients are. It's not required that they have a home or a standard living area. And sometimes they don't want that. They just want to be homeless. So we allow people to be homeless if that's their wish, but we have to be careful when we go to see them. Thank you, Willie and Catherine, for joining us and sharing your opinion and how you guys approach our clients. 
And thank you everyone else for joining in.